All right. Well, I hope that is not the truth about men. And I hope you don't uh, want to go back and listen to that video later today because the reason it's heavily distorted and heavily edited is because most of that video is made up of a bunch of strippers in there as uh, they try and get men to watch it. But my hope, as a result of the next weeks that we're going to spend together, that you're going to learn the real truth about men, and you're going to confront the lies about men, and you're going to become what a real man is. There's all kinds of images out there about what it is that makes a man, what defines a man. When you ask the world what a man is, you're going to get words like dangerous, self-indulgent, abusive, sex-crazed, unreliable. That's not exactly something that inspires us to want to raise our hand and say, I want to be one of those guys. And yet many of us find ourselves fulfilling that expectation. I heard one woman say that men are like farts. All they really are is like um, an unpleasant experience that uh, we have to walk through. And the only good thing about them is we learn how long we can hold our breath. Not exactly a great affirmation for us as men. Well, I want to give you some affirmation. I want to change the perception of men. I hope that out of this thousand or so guys are going to gather here this next number of weeks, that, that there are more than a few good men that rise up and that become something that the world looks at, not as abusive and unreliable, but something that creates security and hope and establishes real peace and encouragement. That's what we hope happens in our time together. Well, why is this a topic that I am very passionate about? Well, uh, because I am a man. I'm a male. And I want to be a good male. I want to be a man. I want to be a guy that others look to and are encouraged by. I want to be somebody that when others are near me, they feel a sense of, as I said, peace and security. And I don't want to be something that they have to learn how long they can hold their breath until they make their way to my unpleasant presence. And I hope you have that same desire, and I hope it's increasingly your experience. Uh, I'm passionate about it because uh, it's what God wants us to be. And I have learned over a, a, a long period of years that God has my best interest in mind. And so when I learn what God wants for me, I'm going to learn what I really want for and long for myself. I, I have three boys, as many of you know, along with three girls, but with my boys specifically, I feel a responsibility to help them be able to define what it is that they were created for. We are all called to be men. One of my favorite verses comes in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, where it says we are to be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Now, when you hear that little phrase, act like men, the problem is, is a lot of guys don't even know what a man is. They don't know what a man's supposed to act like. And when you start to think about what men really are, along with the words that we talked about with dangerous, self-indulgent, sex-crazed, abusive, unreliable, when you really look at the way a lot of men are, there's one of two extremes out there. There's the emasculated man. There's the man that's apathetic. He's weak. He's passive. He's insecure. He's irresponsible. He's lazy. He's afraid of commitment. He doesn't want to be a bad boy. And then there's the macho man. He wants to show everybody he's a badass. He wants to be somebody that, that, um, that walks and talks and drinks and fights and cusses and um, relates to women in a way that shows everybody that he's a man. And that's not a good definition of male either. It's like a junior high kid with cash. That's not a healthy reality. 
And so what I want to do is give you a different picture of what it means to be a man. I'm going to invite you to be one of the few good men that are here. I don't want you to be one of those men that make women think that they got to hold their breath when they're around you. I don't want you to be one of the men that reinforces the stereotype. Uh, One woman said, if it's got tires or testicles, I know I'm going to have problems with it. And we got to change that. Let's be honest, if we were women, we would be a bit discouraged ourselves. And we would do all we could to take on this idea that men should lead because the way that too many men lead is not leadership at all, it is abusive. That's not what God intended. He wanted men to be strong. He wanted men to let everything they do be done in love. I mentioned there's all kinds of different views about what men are out there. Let's just look at one, one of the most famous images of men. It's the, the 50th anniversary of this guy. It is the, uh, the epitome of what a lot of guys want to be, a guy that is suave, a guy that gets girls, a guy that plays with guns, a guy that is competent, a guy that takes on evil, a guy that always wins. Here comes another heavily edited montage. Well, there he is, James Bond. And doesn't everybody kind of watch Bond? The reason that, that that whole series has been so successful is because men go, wow, I'd love to be James Bond. But, you know, here's the reality about James Bond. If James Bond was a real person, his, his wife would divorce him, his kids would hate him, and his body would fail him in numerous ways. And what I want to share with you is you've got to get a better vision for manhood. Whether it's that macho man, whether you've surrendered to the emasculated man, whether you are hiding behind the Hollywood dream of being John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, James Bond, I don't know. But we've got to come up with a vision that's not going to make our wives divorce us, our children hate us, and our bodies and our minds and our souls be devastated. That's what I hope these next number of weeks accomplish as we're together and uh, we're going to dive right in. When you walked in, we handed you a little sheet. I hope you bring a pen. We're going to give you some things that you can fill in, some blanks, and you're going to begin to put some things together. And I'm going to share with you an idea about what it means to be a good man, a man of glory. You see, that's really what God wants for us. When he tells us to act like a man, when he tells us to act like he created us, what his vision for us is, is glory. When the scripture says that all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, what he's saying there is not that that's why I'm disgusted with you, not that's why there's judgment that's going to come on you. What he's saying is that is the judgment. You've become diminished. you become less than I intended you to be. And I want to restore you back to that place. I love you. I'm not angry at you. I'm not mad at you. But there's going to be a consequence to what you keep doing. There's going to be a consequence in the way the world views you. Your wives see you, your children perceive you, you feel about yourself, and ultimately, it's all a result of your separation from me. And I want you to be reunited with me. I'm a loving father. I want to reparent you. Maybe your parents didn't know how to teach you what it was to be a man, but God would tell you that being a man is a glorious thing. Not something to be ashamed of, not something to cower at, not something to walk away from, and not something to be abusive with. It's a great privilege. And when men are great, they acknowledge the greatness of women. And they serve others around them and don't look to feather their own beds and become comfortable 
They're servant leaders, they're kings, and they're glorious. Let's talk about men. What is the problem with men? The problem is that men today are in a state of confusion. There's, there's many reasons why we're so confused. I've already told you because a lot of the models that are put up there um, about what men look like, they, they look inspiring, they look attractive, but like I said, when you begin to chase them, you find out that they don't really work. They don't work for the world, and they don't work for us. And so we've got to unpack that. Why? Some of the reason that we are confused has to do with society. There's been a, a big change over the last number of years. There's been, been three major revolutions, someone has well observed, that, that affect how we interact with our world and how our world interacts with us. The, the first one was an industrial revolution. It happened in the last 100 years or so. Prior to the industrial revolution, there, were, there was an apprenticeship model often in the way that um, men spent time with, developed, encouraged, and nurtured other men. There was, um, there was an agrarian society where, where boys spent hours daily with their father and they watched their father lead and toil and work and shepherd them and provide and create for the family. And then all of a sudden, men were jerked out of the home and they were, they were, they were sent to work in factories in 12-hour shifts and they came home exhausted and mothers raised children and sons didn't have dads to shepherd them and dads were defeated and they weren't um, any uh, longer experiencing the things that they experienced when they were teaching other men how to excel in their field or even how to walk and lead a family. And the Industrial Revolution really jerked men out of uh, the opportunity to lead and shepherd others and their own. When you, uh, when you think about what was going on um, just as little as you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, you think about how 19-year-olds you know, were flying bom- bombers over Germany. And today, you know, 19-year-olds are imagining that they're great because they're moving their thumbs quickly in front of a flat screen TV. Instead of dropping bombs on evil, they're, they're, they're dropping a skateboard into a half pipe. And it's just a whole different culture in terms of what can be really developed when that is the reality that you live in. There is an industrial revolution that has been part of the problem. There, there's a social revolution. There's been a blurring of roles. There's been disintegration of family. There's been gender confusion. That's affected every single one of us. And men have suffered greatly from that. There is a spiritual revolution that has come about. We've moved from, from revelation, from the fact that there is a God and a Father who loves us, who's going to tell us uh, how, to, how to reason, how to think, how to understand, how to know truth, to, to where basically it's just a tournament of narratives. And whatever we can throw out there that's going to make you um, believe or have hope for a moment, you begin to, to chase after You've got guys like Marx and and Darwin and um, others who are uh, challenging every authority that that for years shepherded men into what real maleness and goodness look like. Now let me just say this, because of some other sources of confusion that we're going to deal with as we go forward, including and especially our heart, not just with the industrial revolution, not just with the, 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 the social revolution, not just with the spiritual revolution of the last hundred years, there's always been abusive and self-indulgent and unreliable men. But there's something about our culture today that's accelerating that. 
And as I said, what you find is that men, again and again, find themselves either emasculated or trying to establish their manness, their maleness, by being macho. And it's just not working for us or for others. Uh, Garrison Keller, I have that quote down there, said this, years ago manhood was an opportunity for achievement, and now it's a problem to be overcome. That's not the way that it used to be. So some of it has to do with society. Some of it also has to do with a lack of vision. Thomas Carlyle, a, 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 a Scottish historian, said this, show me the man you honor, and I will know what kind of man you are, for it shows me what your ideal of manhood is and what kind of man you long to be. Scripture talks about how there's a tremendous consequence to where there's a lack of vision, a lack of clarity. If James Bond is your vision, it's going to have you chasing down a road that, uh, that will lead to some despair. Proverbs 29, 18 is the one that says where there is no vision, the people perish or are unrestrained. They go every which way. But happy is he who... who keeps the law the idea is that there is truth there is reality and if you want to buck against reality you can do it all you want but you're going to find yourself filled with despair at the end of the day because it's going to be your your life that you're trying to find meaning and significance in is going to be um unsatisfying because the the factors that you're throwing into the equation will not add up to what you want And so we have got to get a vision that's correct for us, and then we've got to figure out what harbor we're going to so we know which direction to sail. A lot of it has to do with dad. It's your next blank. Good old dad. I'm going to spend an entire week on our issues with our dad. The truth is today, especially in our little Dallas society, a lot of dads are teaching kids how to play sports, but very few dads are teaching kids how to be men more and more as men are are jerked out now not so much because of the industrial revolution but because again the lie that 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 you're going to become a great man when you really pursue one of three things joe ehrman who is a all pro lineman for the baltimore coats has done a great job talking about this he says there's really basically three lies that are put before men and they're and they're almost progressive by the time you're seven or eight you know that your your dignity and value and worth is going to most quickly and easily be established through athletic ability Kids figure that out very, very early. A little bit later, the next lie shows up uh, around the time you're in junior high. And, and you become a man based on, on what you can do with the opposite sex, what they'll let you do, how they desire you, and the stories that you can tell, from athletic ability to sexual conquest. I mean, in fact, athletic ability is often what leads to your ability to show you're a man through sexual conquest. And then when we move through that, as we get a little older, there's yet another lie that shows up. And it's, it's the lie that man's real success and dignity is defined by his bottom line through athletic ability, sexual conquest, and then finally financial success. And good old dad pursuing greatness in those three areas, trying to find his own dignity reestablished in his son's maybe athletic ability, creates a distorted view of worth security and significance and maybe the factory isn't pulling us away but many of us are running away chasing the american dream which turns out to be really nothing more than a nightmare kids have lost their hero have lost their role model and the dads have lost their soul 
So we're going to talk a lot about dad. I could walk through guys like Nietzsche. I'm going to talk more about this. In fact, when I spend my time on this, Nietzsche and Freud and Jean-Paul Sartre, who has pushed in some of those um, you know, rationalistic ideas, Stalin, who, Hitler, who have brought some of the most awful regimes in the history of humankind, every single one of those guys had an absent, a weak, or abusive daddy. And so there's no question that along with society, along with the lack of clarity and vision of what we should be, a lot of the problem is there aren't men who can say, imitate me, and I'll show you what it means to be a good and glorious man. Here's the deal. When, 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 you, when you have these things that confuse you about what it is that makes you a man, it, it leads to hopelessness and despair. Confused men experience hopelessness and despair. There's a loss of heart. We die of boredom. We've, we've got our nose to the grind. We're always looking for the next thing that will we'll, um, we'll provide for us, that we long for, that will create a response that will make us feel good about ourselves. But we find out that all of our strategies, if they are not rooted in reality, fill us with discouragement and despair and makes us hopeless. And in fact, sometimes our lives are so continually defeated that all we can do is live in a Dungeons and Dragons-like fantasy world instead of really being true noble warriors, noble men that others can get in line behind and find security and peace and prosperity underneath their leadership who desire us and want us, who give themselves to us and who follow us gladly. We live in a fantasy world. I mean, this is nowhere more evident than... than how men have been exploited in the billion-dollar industry of pornography and how tragic it is that so many men can't live with dignity in a way that would allow them to have a healthy, sexual, spiritual, emotional relationship with a woman that they've got to invent a story where they're always successful. This is really what pornography is. It, It is a weak man's way to find intimacy. And it's no intimacy at all. It's imaginary intimacy. And this is why I'm going to read you in just a moment a, a, tremendous, a tremendous little vision for you about what you're really experiencing. The, the depths of your despair and hopelessness I think is as captured as I've um, ever seen in this little article that I've read by some guy lately. I'm going to share with you it in just a moment. But this is pornography. This is why I hate it so much. Because it, it pulls us out of the reality of, of intimacy and, and pleasure and, and a reality of experience to, to, a, to an illusion. Where we can't control our own lives, we can't love in a way that, that elicits the response that we want, so we go to a place where we're always in control, we're always desired, we're never turned down, we're never rejected. Beautiful women who give us respect in our imaginary world that invite us to satisfy them and, and in a way that is not rooted at all in reality don't care what we really live like, but in that moment will make us believe that we're a man to be desired. And God's saying, I don't want you to live in a Dungeons and Dragons world. I don't want you to live in fantasy football. I don't want you to play army. I want you to be a warrior. I want you to be a great man. Let me read you this little effort by by one guy who himself was... um, deeply filled with despair and hopelessness and and, and pornography was his issue. I'm going to expand it beyond that with some stuff I've added at the end. But this is what he says. When I ask men about their sexual behavior, most guys are surprisingly honest when anonymity is is brought in. We, We speak about porn, we speak about prostitution, lust, marriage, 
immorality, intimacy, desires, homosexuality, masturbation, sexual abuse, incest, greed, idolatry, you name it. I've had all those conversations, he says, with men. I've eaten meals with pastors, executives, bankers, doctors, religious people, church planners, frat guys, students, entrepreneurs, traffickers, average guys that work 40 hours a week that, that, that stay relatively pure, and, and the same kind of guys, no matter what the vocation, that are completely devastated by this stuff. Most of us, he writes, have had some level of disappointment with our fathers. One in five of us were sexually abused. Every one of us has learned the art of concealing sin. Around 80% of men in the church, the church, are currently using pornography. Some of us don't need a girlfriend because we're in a full-fledged relationship with our hand or our laptop. Some of us know the feeling of cold emptiness after leaving a strip club or a brothel. Some of you men know what it's like to go to sleep next to an empty shell of a woman that used to be your wife because your infatuation with Photoshop woman has extinguished the intimacy that was intended. You're no longer lovers, you're roommates with children. Some of you are fathers that see your sexual sin manifested in your children, but you're too fearful to expose it in your own life regardless of the damage it's doing to your marriage and family. What if coming out with this stuff makes things worse? Is the only thing that you ever really think about. And so you stay and you're hopeless and despair, I would add. This guy writes, I know where you're at. I know what you're thinking and I know the lies you're deceived by. I've been where some of you are. He talks about a good friend of his that's battled sexual addiction all of his life. He's a graduate of a Bible school. He's part of a healthy church. He's got loving, invasive community. He's had numerous godly mentors pushing him towards Jesus for the last seven years, but he still uses pornography every chance he gets. He disables his accountability software in his iPhone or his computer. If he's alone for longer than 30 minutes with an internet connection, he begins searching for filth. He still habitually masturbates. He lies about his sin. He conceals his secrets. He manipulates Christian women into sinning with him. And then he lies about that. He exemplifies the epitome of selfishness and a lack of self-control. He is emasculated. But he also calls Jesus his Lord. Are you that guy? See, let's just acknowledge this. There's two kinds of guys that walked in this room this morning. There's guys that, that, that would say, yeah, man, I'm all about Jesus. This is not an uncomfortable place for me to come. And then there's some of you guys that are here because somebody who loves you and says they love God, wanted you to come and to, and to, and to step out of the confusion and acknowledge the, the social and the societal and the spiritual revolution that we're caught up in that's creating hopelessness and despair in all of us. But all of these things hit every single one of us. And it's time that we stop only focusing on acting like we've got it all together when... Many of us are just trying to hold on. Now, I want to tell you, there are a few good men in this room, more than in most places. But if we don't stay humble and connected with each other, we're going to lose each other. And fewer and fewer good men will exist, and fewer and fewer good men will be made. Let me continue the reading. A guy says this, I'm not going to quote your favorite author or offer free accountability software. I don't have a PDF to read or an invitation to a men's conference. You've probably already tried those things. You've read books. You've made countless commitments, which you've broken. You've tried accountability. You've gone through a freedom season. You've confessed your sin. You've been rebuked. You've disconnected the internet. You've been kicked out of the house. You've destroyed the computer. You've memorized God's word. You've pleaded with Jesus to remove the thorn in your flesh. You've shouted. You've screamed. You've wept. You've tried everything, and you're still shackled. And so what he's going to do, and by the way, I'd highly recommend many of those and all of those. But there has to also be in you a vision. You've got to 
primarily at the core, understand that God's plan for you, God's design for you, is one for welfare and not calamity. He is not trying to pull you back from where life is. He's not trying to keep you from being James Bond. He's trying to make you like Jesus Christ. And that is an infinitely better man. It's a man the world looks to, their history pivots on, their hope is found, their need is met, their example is sure, and women don't hate him and children don't despise him. And even when his body failed him, if you will, on the cross, it was not defeated. And I want to call you to be a real man and follow the greatest man that ever lived. Here's a vision that this guy lays out. He says this, just imagine for a moment that what I'm about to describe is a reality. You're on a battlefield, it's dark, it's chaotic, cold wind is whipping in your face, the stench of death fills the air, corpse, cores of demons lie all around you and the field is soaked in blood. You can hear the sounds of armor and weapons colliding while sparks are flying, screams pierce your ears, you see chiseled powerful beings radiating in white and destroying shadows gripping the throats of principalities slitting them with iridescent blades but you you're without armor you wonder how you got to this place and why you are so unprepared men that you recognize are rushing the opposite direction their spears are aligned they're ready to throw their swords are sharpened their shields are fixed their helmets lowered. They're ready for battle. They're calling for you to join them. They're rushing for the front lines. They are unafraid. They know they've been given the victory. But not you. You've got your pants down around your ankles. You're roaming in circles, looking for the seductress that's calling you by name. You can't wait to fornicate on the battlefield. And all the while, the kingdom is coming. The lost are being found. The sick are being healed. Demonic assignments are being canceled. The veil is being lifted off of false religion. The persecuted church is exponentially growing in the face of opposition. Jesus is authoritatively mediating a new covenant. The Spirit is interceding for the children of God, breathing life into dry bones. And you, all you want is an orgasm. Now, I love that picture of what happens when men leave the reality of the world that God created them to be victorious in and run away to a fantasy world. It takes on specifically the image of what happens when men live in a pornographic, illusionary world. And he's saying, is that really what you think you were made for? When you watch other men who are being victorious in the field of battle and you're wandering around with your pants down around your ankles wondering why you're not that kind of man. Well, I'm going to give you a vision that you can be. I want to expand it beyond just the pornographic one. This is where I pick up. Meanwhile, your kids are alone. Leave pornography. Just think about maybe it's your pursuit of financial success. Maybe it's just still your infatuation with some macho idea. Maybe it's just because you're emasculated. And you're weak and you're passive and you're insecure. And you're afraid to deal with it. Meanwhile, all right, your kids are alone. Wondering where their hero is. Your wife is numb from the betrayal of your broken promises and endless affairs with your job, your iPhone, your career, your infatuation with your alma mater's team or your fantasy football league. Your soul is empty. Your sadness is growing. You can taste your despair. The only thing that keeps you going is the circle of other weak men you call friends or the isolation that allows you to convince yourself it really isn't that bad. Others are doing worse or your family is happy because of the way you provide for them. 
But inside you're dying, you're wondering how you became so weak, so defeated, so pitiful. You were created for glory. You are the son of a king, but the kingdom is so far from where you live, the pigs that are your neighbors look more like brothers than the swine that you are to rule over. It doesn't have to be this way. But you have to have the courage to acknowledge that you have left your home. You have to accept the fact that you abandoned your throne, that your queen is lonely, that the young prince in your home is without a noble example. The princesses in your home are given over to vulnerability and liars that pose as lovers. You have to confess that you've left your king. And that the one that you now serve is stealing your joy, killing your hope, and destroying your life. You have to love the truth more than you fear the pain of your reality. You have to be strong. It's time to grow up. It's time to be a man. Guys, I hope that in our time together, I hope that as I speak to you, go. I want to be that. I don't want to be that that exposed person on the battlefield. I want to be a man. I hope you don't go hide this weekend in a theater and dream of what it must be like to be a man of valor. I hope we rediscover it together these next five weeks. I hope we band together like brothers. We face our hopelessness. We acknowledge our despair. And the few good men in this room say, I understand that hopelessness. I understand that despair. But let me tell you about, let me tell you about a great king who disciples great knights. Let me tell you about an order of men that run together and that don't create a leadership vacuum and that don't create major problems. That's that's the next little blank there. Confused men always do that. They create a leadership vacuum and major problems. I'm I'm, uh, going to play this clip. I've played it before when I was with guys and I want to do it again. It's it's a clip from Band of Brothers, Easy Company, and, and, and it's just one that if we're going to really talk about why we've got to do this, you've got to see it. You're, you're going to see a group of men that are at war, and what happens? You've got a leader. There's a leadership vacuum. This leader fails. There, there is major problems. There is death. There is chaos. There is hopelessness. There is fear. And then you'll see Captain Winters show up. You'll see him relieve a weak leader of his duty, and you'll see him act courageously, and you'll see confidence restored you'll see the enemy be defeated. And I want you to get a vision for this is you. Not just somebody collapsing on the battlefield. But somebody that brings strength to your kingdom. Watch this. Easy red, easy red, stand by for the six. Bully! Bully, you get back here where I can see you! First platoon, hold up, hold up, take cover! Martin! Do you want our soldiers to go right and attack the 
village by itself? We will provide suppressing fire! We We're gonna be kind of alone out there, homes. Lieutenant! We will provide suppressing fire! Sir, we are sitting ducks here! We have to keep moving! Spears, get yourself over here! Get out there and relieve Dyke and take that attack on in! I'm taking over. Precision, listen! Sir, most of the company is spread out here. First platoon tried to end around, but they're stretched out. They're pinned down by a sniper. I believe he's in the building with the cage in the roof. All right, I want mortars and grenade launchers on that building till it's gone. When it's gone, I want first to go straight in. Forget going around. Everybody else follow me. Yes, sir. Thank didn't shoot at it. I think they couldn't quite believe what they were seeing. But that wasn't the really astounding thing. The astounding thing was that after he hooked up with Eye Company, he came back. I love that clip. Yeah, that's what men do when they come in. They, they, they create order. They've got a vision. They've got a clarity. They've got a plan. They understand what it's going to take to defeat the enemy. They reestablish communication with those that are isolated, broken off, and death awaits them. They live courageously for something greater than themselves. They're concerned about their men, not themselves. Who wouldn't follow that? That's what God's design was for you. But when you've got abusive, dangerous, sex-crazed, unreliable, apathetic, weak men... You have hurting, angry, dying people. There's that little quote I have down there. I don't know who said it, but that little prayer, undoubtedly of a woman or a child, it says, Dear Lord, I pray for wisdom to understand my man, love to forgive him, and patience for his moods. Because, Lord, if I pray for strength and I get it, I'll beat him to death. And who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? I don't blame women for being sick of men. Men as... We've become apart from the God who wanted to have us walk in dignity and glory. You see, God isn't angry at us. He just wants us to restore us to the place that will be good for our hearts, good for our souls, make others thankful that he created us, and be a blessing to our world. That's your God. That's the one you're leaving for your little fantasy world. I'm going to show you a great little picture of this, just in the scripture, of what happens when there's, when there's not a leader. It comes in Exodus chapter 32. It, it's um, when Moses went away to spend some time with God, he left his um, brother-in-law Aaron in charge. And there was chaos in the land. And when Moses came back and he saw the chaos, I want you to see what happens when, when weak men are in control. Moses said to Aaron, what, what did these people do to you that you brought such great sin upon them? How could you let them get so out of control? Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself, that they are prone to evil. And, and Moses said, this is why God gave them you. This is why leaders are present. Yes, I know children are rebellious. Yes, I know the current of this world is running away from God. But that's what a few good men do. 
They speak out. They step up. They stand firm. They stay humble and they serve the king for the benefit of the kingdom and the people in it. Aaron continues, For they said to me, Make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses is the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt. This Moses that said he knew God who delivered us from oppression and death and slavery and bondage. We don't know what's become of him. And so I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Really? Attaboy, Aaron. Way to step up and take responsibility. I don't know how it happened. We just threw a bunch of random things in the fire and out came this intelligently designed thing of beauty we didn't have anything to do with it now moses saw that the people were out of control do you remember this where there is a lack of leadership a lack of vision a lack of clarity the people are unrestrained they go every which way people are out of control there is hopelessness there's despair moses saw the people were like that for aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies and so then a leader shows up he stood at the gate of the camp and he said Whoever is for the Lord, who has faith in what is right, is what is implied. I need a few good men. We're going to reestablish order. We're going to reclaim some ground, and we're going to make it right. And death and chaos and hopelessness is going to leave this community. Do you want to be one of those men? Would you have responded? I mean, that's really what I'm trying to do these next five weeks. I just want to say... Maybe you came in here fearing the Lord and you're going to get back in the battlefield with me or maybe you don't know and I'm trying to make a case that God is the one you want to serve. And just get out of this little loop that you're in. Here's the truth. Guys, God wants emasculated men to become secure. Enough to confront their insecurities, their timidity, their fear. He wants men to take risks. He wants men to make commitments. God wants macho men to leave their false pretenses. Stop trying to impress people or establish their greatness through career or or sexual conquest or athletic fitness. God wants you to be a a tender warrior. God made you in his image. One of my favorite little places in scripture is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9 and 10, where where it says, "Hey, hey, get up on the mountaintop, declare to people, say to them, this is your God. And it describes a strong and beautiful and great and dignified leader. The Lord, he comes with his might, it says. His arm is ruling for him. His recompense is before him. His reward is with him. And then it follows after that and it says, but he's like a shepherd. He's going to tend to his flock in his arms. He will carry the lambs. That is what your children, your wife, your world, single men are looking for. Tender warriors. Shepherd kings. Men. And that can be you. There's not a man in this room that can't get there. The solution to our problem of confusion is that we have got to regain our ability to live confident lives. Now folks, let me just break that down for you. Confident comes from two Latin words, con fide. Right? We, we, we have it in, in the part of our military that, that takes this little logo, a few good men, right? Semper Fi, right? Always faithful. Confident means to live with faith. So let me just make a note. A confident man is not a man that is full of himself. He is full of faith. That's what a confident man is. And he lives in truth, he is not self-reliant. He is not cocksure. He believes that God is good, 
that God loves him, that God wants to lead him, that God wants to restore dignity and glory to his life and bring peace through him. And he is guided by that. And he gets around other men who will train with him for that. He runs with men that are equipped in how to restore wounded men on the field. Get them back in the game. And he's got a band of brothers. And they go to war and there is peace and evil is defeated. And you don't have to watch a movie to fantasize about being a good man. You live in it. Confident men are men that are full of faith and they live in truth. They're not self-reliant, cocksure, or full of themselves. They love the truth more than they feel the pain. A confident man addresses the realities of his past and he's ready to take on the realities of his presence. One of the things I'm going to talk about here that, that uh, others have observed that there are certain things that hinder us. They, they, they keep us from being healthy. Uh, there, are, there are wounds, is what my friend Robert Lewis calls these things. Wounds. Wounds are, are these unresolved issues that, uh, whose lack of closure hinders the quality of, of life around them. And what too many of us do is we try and act like there's not wounds in our life. And so they, they get infected and they get worse and they bring disease. I can remember being with one of my friends who's in the room with us now today. I, I had, a, I had a, a brown recluse that bit me. And my arm continually got more and more affected until I, I went to saw him. And, and that poison had just eaten literally a, a hole in my arm. And so we sat there on his kitchen table and uh, he got a little tackle box filled with Lycane and whatever else he had and and he just started stabbing around my arm and we cut my arm open Right down to the muscle and cut out all the necrotic flesh and because it was uh, all, all the deadness that was there and because it was such a gaping wound we had to leave it open he stuffed it And I, and I can remember um, You know watching that and holding it open so he could get in there and keep cutting until there was no dead tissue And, and then just letting it you know, for the next couple of days, be an open wound with, with wet dressing in there that I had to take out every time it dried and, and repack it until it closed back up. See, it was, it was painful. It wasn't pleasant to the sight, but it, but it brought about healing around it. And if you don't acknowledge there's wounds, it's going to move from your bicep to your entire arm, from your arm to your body, and death is going to overcome you. And we've all got wounds. And here's some of the things that we're going to cover in the weeks ahead as we address the reality of our past and the responsibilities of our present. We're going to talk about the reality of an absent or abusive dad. We're going to hit it next week. We're going to talk about the father wound, to give it one name. We're going to talk about the reality of an enabling or overbearing mama. We're going to talk about the reality of a depraved heart. We're going to talk about the reality of a lack of understanding. I want to let you know, guys, God isn't mad at you. He's a loving father, and all he wants to do is say, you want to follow me, boy? You want, to, you want to come? You want to be my apprentice? You want me to make you great? Come on, I love you. I'm going to tell you truth, and the truth will set you free. Pull your pants up. Be strong. Act like a man. We're going to talk about the reality of the effects of isolation. And how no man is a, is a Johnny Rambo, but part of a team. And we're going to talk about the responsibility of owning our own destiny. Not blaming others. We know this little scripture, it's familiar even for those that haven't been around church. In John 10.10 10, it says, The thief comes only to still kill and destroy. I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. 
Uh, just observe that the enemy wants to steal your joy, kill your hope. He wants to destroy your opportunity to live a life of faithfulness, fullness, adventure, greatness, strength, love, and purpose. And I want to tell you guys, real men will not let him. Real men won't let him. One of the things I love about our God is he doesn't call us just to be weak, passive men who show up and listen to men speak and sing a few hymns and, and, and act politely and wait till we go sit on a cloud with angels' wings. That is such a perverted view of biblical masculinity. And that lie has given you permission to run away from it, and I'm going to call you back to reality. God made you in his image. He is a warrior. He is a rescuer. He is a provider. He is a king. And he wants you to rule and not be ruled over by your passions or your flesh. One person said this, when you tell me that your deity made you and that you're in his image, you must have one ugly deity. And aren't there many people who believe that about our God because we say we're his men. And we have not learned to be warriors. We're tender. And it's time that we deal with that, face it, and change. Let me just give you just two little things here. One is my own little uh, summation about God's intention for you that I want to show you that it's not just my idea. God's intention for men is that you would bear his image, you would pursue justice, you've got this written down there, you'd exemplify good, you'd live without regard to self, you'd be glorious, you'd exhibit kindness, you'd extend grace, you'd offer forgiveness, you'd remain reliable, you'd establish security, you'd embody strength, you'd provide protection, you would define integrity, you would show mercy, you would lead with love. Your life would be defined by people and purpose. You would understand how to make relationships work, grace and mercy, you would... You would know how to love and how to be loved. And you would live for a purpose greater than yourself. Ultimately, that's what a man does. He has successful relationships, and he brings real hope to a world that is devastated. Now watch this. Just to show you, this isn't just Todd Wagner's fantasy. I'm going I'm to show you what, what God says in his word right here is what he, he dreams for you. You tell me if this isn't a vision that you can get behind. Not just to show up, shut up, and pay up and, and behave. Not just to go to a meeting once a week. No, God wants you to be men. And right here out of first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, you therefore, my son, be strong. You be a leader. You be a protector. In the grace that is in Christ Jesus, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men. You reproduce yourself. You be a leader. Who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier. You be a warrior. You remember that no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, you're a competitor. You're not going to shrink back. You're going to win. You're going to be victorious. He does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer, you're going to be a provider. Ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And that's my prayer, that you will consider what we're going to say these next five weeks. Can you imagine, can you imagine that one day those that know you and are around you say, let me tell you about 
the man in my life. He is a leader. He's a protector. He is a reproducer. He's a warrior. He is a competitor. He is a provider. He's tender. He's a lover. He knows how to love and be loved. He lives for a cause that is greater than himself. And the chaos and death and fear and isolation that I'm in, I've been rescued from because that's my dad. That's my roommate. That's my brother. That's my co-worker. That's a man. Guys, I, I pray that's where we go together. I pray you come back. I pray you grab other men. Next week, we're going to talk about a topic that every single one of us is affected with. And we've got to open that wound and look at it. And as much as that's part of our woundedness, we've got to deal with it. We've got to wet pack it. And we've got to walk with each other. That's one of the things I want to tell you. We're, we're going to meet in here. We'll be done before 8 o'clock every week. And we're not going to do small groups right now. But I want to tell you something. We want to provide for you a small group opportunity. You need to be with other men. If you are here and you're not currently running with other men, or if you're already running with other men and you say, we want to get some, some materials to process the things that we're talking about to go deeper with each other, and every one of us needs to do that, there's going to be a little card available to you when you walk out this week. We'll give it to you next week. And, and for the next five weeks as we're here, we'll either start to feed you that material now or we'll provide an opportunity for groups to meet in the weeks that follow or we might even start them sooner. But when you go out, you'll take this card and you can just fill it out and just say, I, I need to get around some guys that will help me deal with my woundedness of my past, the reality of my past, and to start to take responsibility for my present. And we invite you into it. We don't want to leave you alone. We don't want to just talk at you we want to run with you help you be a few good men we pray for you and then we'll let you get out of here hey uh, guys listen we're working hard in the parking okay you might want to get here a little earlier we're going to start right at seven so we can get out of here right when we say we will so come a little earlier hang out with some other men just be gracious and patient with one another um invite friends if they miss a week they can go back and pick it up if you miss a week come back and grab the next one but guys we love you we're for you we want to see you experience the greatness that you were created for. Father, I thank you for these men that they got up this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to talk straight to us. That you're not angry at us. Man, so many of us feel like that must be the case. We know we have failed. We know we have um, abandoned our post. And we feel like now there's no way back, no way to be restored. Maybe we feel like we've lost our wife forever. Maybe we don't feel like we can look our kids in the eye and say, I'm going to lead you, I'm going to be that man. That's exactly what, Father, our enemy wants us to believe. He wants to steal our joy. He wants to kill our hope. He wants to destroy the opportunity that you've given us today to be faithful, full, adventurous, great, strong, loving, and purposeful men. Father, I pray that you would use our time together as men in the weeks ahead to help us learn how to pursue justice, exemplify good. Live without regard to self. How to restore the glory that you intended for us. Exhibit kindness. Extend grace. Offer forgiveness. Remain reliable. That we'd establish security in others. We'd embody strength. That we would be on the alert. We would stand firm. We'd be part of those chiseled men that in grace and truth wage war. Father, I thank you that your forgiveness is available to every man in this room. If we have risen to places of great leadership and fallen, you want to restore us yet again. If we have never even enlisted, you want to conscript us by grace into an army of greatness. I thank you that you have just done something in our lives to where we'd be willing to walk in here and um, hear one more time 
the vision that you have for us. I thank you that we can talk to each other honestly. I pray we wouldn't walk out of here emasculated or with a commitment to be macho. But I pray we'd walk out of here with hope that we can be good men. A source of glory to you and good to others. A source of dignity to ourselves. We love you. We thank you that you are a restorer of those things. Shepherd us. We thank you for your mercy. Lead us now. In Christ's name. Amen. All right, guys, go get it. Grab one of these. Fill it out. Let us help you enlist with other men. We'll see you.